Well, good morning. What an awesome energy that there is here this morning. What an awesome energy that we feel this morning in this place, isn't it? And that's good for me because I came to sunrise this morning. And when I get up before 7 o'clock in the morning, I crash. In fact, every year I come to that 7 o'clock service and right about 9.30 when connection groups are starting, I get really tired. But not this morning. I am tired. But there is just such a great energy. And honestly, last night I was here preaching this message to a bunch of chairs and this whole building was empty and there was energy. I don't even need this mic, I'm telling you. I'm excited for what's going to happen today. I'm excited to celebrate the resurrection. I've been excited about this morning for over a month. This is the culmination of our Lenten season. This is the culmination of our Jesus series. And as we've looked at the different aspects of who Jesus is over the past seven weeks, we come to today the resurrected Christ, Jesus, the living, Jesus, the life. And so today we come together to celebrate the living Savior. Through this series, we've been invited to enter into relationship with Jesus, the Son. And through this series, we've, been, we've seen the evidence of Jesus' healing power and Jesus the healer. Through this series, we've heard the lofty call to have Jesus be our example and our rabbi. We've, we've been called into this revolution, into this different kingdom to help bring about this different kingdom by laying down our swords. We understand that Jesus is our substitute and our savior and we've been challenged by Jesus the King to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's a lot, isn't it? Can we just be honest this morning and say, that's a lot. That's a whole lot that we've been looking at. That's a whole lot that we've been called to through this series. And, and I don't know about you guys, but, but sometimes I feel like I'm just trying to get my family to church without losing my mind. Some of you here this morning might be looking at that thinking, that's a whole lot. I'm, I'm just trying not to flip out at my kids, or I'm just trying to go through a week without messing up the same old things that I've messed up over and over again. That is a lot. I don't know about all that. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but, but I start to think that it would take a super Christian to live up to all that. And I start to think, maybe that's not possible. It would take the super Christian to live up to that. I, I mean, I'm good with this whole relationship thing, Jesus. I'm trying my best to be a good Christian, and I'd love some healing, but honestly, sometimes I don't have the belief that I need to that it's possible. And I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but, but I'm just trying to be like Eric Anderson, and once I get that down, I'll work on the Jesus thing. That's a running joke these days, isn't it? And, and I want to put down my sword, Jesus, but I just have this, this, this part inside me that wants to fight back and, and wants to take up the sword and wants to hurt and wants to get revenge. And I want to take up my cross, but, but sometimes I'm just all about myself. 
and I can't get past my own selfish desires and what I want. If you're anything like me, sometimes you feel like you should be closer to that by now. I've been a Christian for most of my life, and there are times when I feel like I should be closer to that than I am. And I think, man, it would take a super Christian to be like that. Maybe this morning you struggled with faith. You've struggled with doubt. Maybe things have happened in your life and you've been, you've been tempted to rely on things other than God to get you through. And you struggle with faith. You struggle with doubting. Maybe this morning you have struggled with a certain sin or a certain destructive thing in your life that you just can't seem to get past. And you know it's bad for you. And you know it hurts you. And you know it messes up your relationships. But you just can't seem to get past it. Maybe some of you here this morning struggle with the sword. You still lose your temper. You get angry. When, when things happen, when you're challenged, your first inclination is to hurt people. You just can't get past making it all about you. Well, I have some good news this morning. You're in a room full of people that have those same struggles. You're in a room full of people and there are rooms all over the world today that are celebrating the resurrection where people feel the same way and they have the same struggles. And, and even bigger than that, there's another group of people that struggled with these same things. And so, so let's look into it. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14. And this is the scene where Jesus is arrested. This is verses 44 to 52. It says this. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And listen to what happens next. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Going on into verse 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And so we see this scene where the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, and these followers and these disciples of Jesus who have been with him for a long time and have walked by his side, what do they do? They run. They're out of here. I don't want to face that. I don't want to be a part of that. And man, look what happens to the disciples and the followers of Jesus when things get rough. Verse 50 says, everyone deserted him and fled. Isn't this somewhat shocking to you? I mean, these disciples had followed Jesus for years. They had been with Jesus when he healed people. 
They had been with Jesus when he cast out demons. They had been with Jesus when he taught to the crowds. They had been with Jesus when he turned a little bit of food into enough to feed 5,000. They had been with Jesus this whole time. They'd been told the plan. They'd seen miracle after miracle. And they had sworn their allegiance and said, we're with you to the very end. And then what happens? When things get really difficult, poof. They're gone. Verse 51 goes a little bit deeper and talks about the man who was following. And when this all happened, he took off and fled without his robe because he was so scared. Isn't this just a shameful moment for us? Isn't this just a shameful moment that the disciples and the followers and even this man would flee? And, And he had the public embarrassment to come onto that. Isn't this surprising? Well, I I would make the case this morning that it shouldn't be so surprising. See, these disciples and these followers had kind of made a living with letting Jesus down. They had kind of made a living in messing up and coming up short. And over and over again in Scripture, in the story of Jesus and his disciples, we see them come up short. I think of the story where they're all on a boat and Jesus is sleeping and the storms come around him and the disciples get terrified and they wake Jesus up and he puts his hands up and calms the storm and says, you of little faith. We know the story where Jesus walks on water out to the boat and Peter says, call me out to you. And he gets out of the boat and he says, walk to me and he's walking on water. And what happens? Peter starts to doubt. And he starts sinking. And Jesus says, you of little faith. We see James and John later on come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, could you just do things that I want you to do? Could you just help us out? We want to sit at your right and at at the left hand of your throne. We want positions of importance. And James and John, even though they had heard the teachings over and over again, missed it. And were about themselves And we're selfish. We see these same disciples that just before Jesus is arrested, they go to the garden and he goes to the garden to pray. And he says, could you just keep watch for me? And what happens? Not one time, not two times, three times the disciples fall asleep on Jesus. They can't even stay awake for him when he needs them most. And then we see Jesus arrested in the garden. And what's their, what's their um, response to that? Peter draws his sword and he says, let's do this. Let's fight. Let's take care of these guys. And once again, he misses it. And then we see Peter deny Jesus three times right after Jesus has told him that he's going to deny him three times. These disciples had made a living on coming up short. And now, in Jesus' biggest time of trouble and need, what do they do? They take off. They desert him. Don't you get the feeling sometimes that maybe the calling that Jesus has put on his disciples and on us is just a little bit too much? Don't you sometimes get the feeling that that God is just asking a little bit too much of me? I'm I'm trying my best, but I'm not going to get there. I don't know if it's possible. I mean, I'll do my best, but even your own disciples couldn't measure up, right? 
These disciples were just like us, except these disciples had dropped everything, their career, their family, and had followed Jesus day by day. And they were still blowing it. And they were still missing the mark. And they were still doubting. And they were still getting lazy. And they were still fighting back. And they were still missing the whole thing. Maybe, maybe it's just not possible, right? So one of the things that's really fun and and I say that facetiously, one of the things that's very frustrating about being a father is when you have to teach your kids to do new things. And so in our family, the last few years, we've been trying to teach the kids to ride their bikes. And so we'll bring the bikes up here into the gym, and we'll put them on their bikes, and the training wheels are off, and we're trying to teach our kids to ride a bike. See, when I was a kid, I loved riding my bike. I would get on my bike every day, and I would ride to my friend's house, and then we'd ride to another friend's house, and we would hang out all day, and I want my kids to be able to ride their bike and have a great time and go to friend's house and stuff like that. And so we bring our kids up to the church, and we're trying to teach them to ride a bike. How many of you have tried to teach kids to ride a bike? Okay, so you're going to feel this pain with me. And, and we started off, and we're holding the seat, and we're pushing them along, and everything's good, and, and they got their balance pretty good, and then what happens? You let go for a second, and, and they go for just a second, and then they put their foot down and stop because they don't want to fall. And then you try it again. You say, you can do this. You've got this. And you push them, and you let them go, and they go a little bit further, but then they put their foot down, and they get scared, and they don't think they can do it. And then you even get to this point where you let them go. We've gotten to this point where we let them go, we push them along, we let them go, and they go half the gym, and they're going, which isn't that far on a bike, but it's far enough. They're going, they've got it, and something happens, and they start to doubt, and boom, the foot goes down. They don't want to wreck. They lose faith. And, and i got to be honest with you, as a father, I, I lose my mind. I'm like, come on, you can do this. You just went more than half the gym. Just keep going. You don't have to put your foot down. What's stopping you is your foot, not anything else. Another thing that we've tried to teach the boys to do is baseball just started. And so we're trying to teach the boys to throw and catch and hit the ball. And especially with baseball starting, you know, they're going to get this year Eli's and kid pitch, kid and coach pitch, and Sam's in machine pitch, so there's not a T to rely on anymore. And so we take the kids in the backyard and we give them the bat and try to throw pitches to them. And we think, come on, just swing and hit it. Just watch the ball, the ball hit the bat. Just swing and hit it. And this can be most, one of the most frustrating things in the world. How many of you have taught your kids to play baseball? Okay, and so I'm throwing the pitches and, and, and this is what we get. And it doesn't matter if the pitch is way over there. Doesn't matter if the pitch is behind them. Doesn't matter if the pitch is rolling in. Doesn't matter if it's going over their head. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Are you even trying? Sweet, put the bat on the ball. You can do this. And, and then, heaven forbid, you throw a pitch that's a little bit too close to them. And all of a sudden, you got the whole fear thing. I'm going to get hit by the ball. And I find myself doing these ridiculous things like, it doesn't hurt. It's just a baseball. Throw it at me. Come on. <laughs> and just hit me with it. And look out. Boom. Ah, it doesn't even hurt. You're fine. And I'm trying to teach my kids. And it's just so frustrating. Man, I'll tell you what. Jesus was a patient man. 
When we talk about all the struggles, when, I, when I'm trying to do that stuff, I lose my mind, and a, and a common phrase is, all right, you take over for a while. I'm, I'm gonna go scream in the other room or something like that. <laughs> Jesus was a patient man. Megan, take over for a bit. I can't do this. Jesus is calling his disciples to be like him, and just like my kids and all of your kids, it must be so frustrating when they lose faith and when they doubt. But Jesus continues to call. No matter how many times the disciples messed up, Jesus continues to call. So back to our story Something amazing happens. Just when the disciples have abandoned Jesus, and Jesus goes to trial, and Jesus goes to the cross and dies, just when they think it's all over, and in their mind they're thinking, you know what, we were right, this is too good to be true. You know what, we're off the hook. What did we do for the last three years? The king appears to be done. This kingdom obviously isn't what we thought it was. There's a, our rabbi is in the tomb, and just when they think it's all over, what happens? He is risen. In their biggest moment of doubt, in their biggest moment of struggle, he is risen. Jesus is alive. The king is alive. He defeated death. He came back to life just like he said he would. He is risen. And Jesus appears to the disciples in Mark chapter 16. And in verses 14 to 15, it says this. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. Uh-oh, they're in some trouble now, right? And he, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Think about what the disciples are thinking at this point. They deserted Jesus. They'd failed him time and time again, but this was the last straw when he needed them the most. They took off and fled. And here comes Jesus into the room. Oh my, we're in some trouble. We blew it. And if you have kids, then you know that look that they get when you come in the room and they know they're in trouble. Sometimes Charlie will be flipping out at Megan and, and yelling and screaming and I'll come in the room and, oh, daddy's here. I'm in some trouble. And Jesus come in and sure enough, he rebukes them for their lack of faith and for once again struggling. I mean, wait a minute, after everything the disciples have done, after all their failure, after they denied him and deserted him, I mean, they thought they were done for. They thought they were in huge trouble, but he's still calling. And the next part is even better. In verse 19 and 20, it says this, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Those disciples that were such failures, those disciples that couldn't get it right, that were cowards, what happened? After Jesus shows up, after the king is risen, they go out and they preach the message to the whole world. They change everything. They give everything they have for the king. When Jesus is risen, everything 
changes. In fact, most of those disciples and most of Jesus' followers in that day ended up dying for their faith. These guys that were too scared to be with Jesus when he was arrested end up giving everything and dying for their faith. Peter and Paul were martyred around 66 AD. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. Andrew traveled to Asia Minor to spread the gospel and was crucified there. Thomas, the doubter, ministered east of Syria and died by, by the spear of four soldiers. Philip was put to death in Asia Minor. Matthew ministered in Persia and Ethiopia and was allegedly stabbed to death there. Bartholomew ministered in India, Armenia, Ethiopia, and southern Arabia and was martyred there. James ministered in Syria and was stoned and clubbed to death. Simon ministered in Persia and was killed. These guys gave everything. These cowards gave everything for the kingdom. And you're thinking, oh no, that's terrible. They died? Don't think that way. Because here's the thing, martyrs very rarely die in a sad place. What th they died doing what they were created and called to do, and so don't be sad for them. They were everything that God had called them to be. And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're here because those disciples became what Jesus called them to be. What changed? What changed? What took those disciples from being cowards and failures to being world changers? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. The resurrection changed. The living God, the living God was with them and sent his spirit into them. And they went all the way around the world. God empowered them to share the gospel. And here we are today because everything changed with the resurrection. They had devoted their lives, they'd given up everything, and they still had failed and were cowards. But the resurrection changed everything. And all of a sudden, they were willing to give everything they had for Jesus because he gave everything and was resurrected. See, they realized that it was all true. Everything he had said was true. Who he said he was is who he was. And what he said was going to happen is what happened. And guess what? If Jesus is who he says he was and he's, he defeats death and, and is risen from the dead, then guess what? They can be who he called them to be. Because Jesus is who he says he is, we can be who Jesus says we should be. That's the good news today. That's what we're here celebrating. It's all true. Our Savior is not a fraud. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over sickness. Jesus is Lord over sin. Jesus is Lord over failure. Jesus is Lord over laziness. Jesus is Lord over doubt. Jesus is Lord over death. Jesus is Lord over everything. Our God is alive. <laughs> And guess what that means for us today? It means that because of the resurrection, you don't have to be the same old failure that you used to be. Because of the resurrection, you don't have to be the same old coward that you used to be. Because of the resurrection, you don't have to struggle with the same old sins 
and struggles that you used to. You don't have to struggle with the same old doubt. All of your past failures, all of your past struggles are gone because you serve the living God who wants to fill you with his spirit and give you power to change the world. It means that just like the disciples became who God called them to be, we can be who God calls us to be. We can be the super Christian that we didn't think was possible because Jesus is alive and we can be who God calls us to be today. We can ride the bike. We can hit the baseball. We can do everything that God has called us to do. And so the band's gonna come up, and we're not done. Don't think we're done yet. We're still gonna go a little bit. But the band's gonna come up, and right now we're gonna sing about this because, listen, I know that some of you in here feel like you failed. And I know that some of you in here have struggled over and over again, and, and you may have thought, I've been a Christian for the longest time, but I still struggle, and I'm not good enough. But the good news today is this. You are redeemed. You can be everything that God calls you to be. So no matter what you've done, no matter how you've messed up, no matter what your flaws are, no matter how many times you've let God down, no matter how terrible of a father or mother or friend or or worker you've been, you can be what God calls you to be. And so as we sing this song, I would just ask you to offer yourself to God, to offer your failures, to offer your frustrations, to offer your doubt, to offer your struggles, and know that as we celebrate resurrection today, we can be who God calls us to be. I told you we're not done yet. We're not done yet, because here's the thing. With this great news comes some pretty great responsibility. Did you notice what we didn't say about the disciples after Jesus came back? Did you notice what we didn't say? We didn't say that they became rich. We didn't say that they got huge plots of land and all of a sudden became the most powerful people in the world. We didn't say that they got to run around to all their doubters and all the people that had been against them and rub it in their face. We didn't say that they had everything they ever wanted. What they got was the opportunity to take up their cross and follow Jesus. The opportunity to give everything that they had to build the kingdom, to make disciples. And that's what we have today. I don't want you to get this wrong today. I don't want you to think that this is all about everything's gonna be perfect for you and you're gonna get everything you ever wanted. We today, because of the resurrection of Jesus, have a responsibility to take up our cross and follow him. Sometimes Easter feels like a big party. Hooray! Yay, Jesus! All right! And listen, it should. It is a big party. It's awesome. We should celebrate. We should get excited. But, but here's the problem. I don't know about you, but a lot of times after big parties, my inclination is to go sit in the recliner and rest. 
Sometimes after I party real big, what I want to do is go take it easy and sit down and recuperate. The problem with the big party is our tendency to take it easy afterwards. And I think the biggest tragedy in the world would be if we will walk out of this service today after celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and go out and sit in our Christian easy chairs and rest. I think it would be the biggest tragedy if we celebrate the power of the resurrection and then we walk out of this church and we live a mundane, regular, day-to-day life where we're not filled with the Spirit. Where we go to church and we sing songs and we shake hands and we're happy and hey, we're all good. But we miss being filled with the Spirit. It would be the biggest tragedy in the world for us to celebrate this Easter and then go back to a boring, everyday, just maintenance Christianity. Don't you see? This changes everything. This is not just a theological win for us. This is a celebration of event that should change our lives and should give us the power and and the excitement to go out and build the kingdom. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go sit and take it easy and pat themselves on the back. Jesus said, go, make disciples, preach the word. That's what we are called to do today. Go and make disciples. This isn't about feeling good about ourselves. It's not about riches. It's not about everything we ever wanted. It's about going and making disciples and building the kingdom. Because the truth is, there's a community all around us that has no clue what we celebrate this morning. There's a community all around us that has no clue who Jesus the King is. There's a community all around us who are struggling with sin and are struggling with things in their life that are ruining their life. There's a whole community of people who are, who are living a life of bondage and living a life of struggle. There's a whole community of people around us in Westchester and beyond, in Ohio and beyond, in this country and beyond, all over the world. There are people who don't know Jesus the King. And so today, we must go. We must share. And so today, if you call yourself a disciple of the risen King, celebrate the resurrection. Celebrate it. It's a good thing to celebrate. But do more than that. Let the power that we celebrate today in the resurrection change the way you live at work tomorrow. Let the power that we celebrate in the resurrection change the way you treat your neighbors. Let the power of the resurrection change the way you share your faith with others. Let the power of the resurrection change your life. Give everything you have to build the kingdom. You have new life. Don't waste it. Don't sit around and be comfortable. Don't sit around and think you're good and just try to maintain your Christianity. You have new life. Go live it. Make it 
count. Be on fire. Be filled with the Spirit. Give everything you have. Take up your cross and share Jesus with everybody around you so that next year and 20 years from then and and 2,000 years from now, the kingdom is alive and well because we are empowered by the resurrection. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much today for your resurrection. We thank you so much for the power that you give us. We thank you so much for a bunch of disciples that we can relate with who have struggled and failed over and over again. But Lord, we thank you that we have an example that your power changes everything, that your spirit changes everything. And so Lord, we come before you this morning and we are happy and we are celebrating and there's excitement in the air. But I pray, Lord, that your power and your spirit would come into us. I pray that this church and each and every one of us would take the resurrection and take it to the world around us, that we would give everything we have for you, Lord, that we would build your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you paid the ultimate price so that we could have freedom. But thank you that you were resurrected and we have power to be who you called us to be. Lord, send us, change us, use us to build your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In thy name, amen. As you go today, everything you do, work, mowing your lawn, going to the store, talking with friends, let it be about building the kingdom. You have new life, now go live it.